Very good. Well, I want to talk today about navigating life's problems. I don't suppose anybody out there has any problems, but just in case, maybe this might help. And um, I've talked about this before. From I, I think I called this solving life's problems one time before. But I like the word navigate better because I find out that uh, I found out through the years that lots of times we think of solving problems, and I don't guess anybody in here has any. But just in case you have some, this message is for you. We just want to get to A from A to Z as fast as possible. But I've found often that uh, navigating is a better word because honestly, what we do is we're like a ship, you know, navigating our way through and this we look for that direction over there we look for that over there just trying to find our way we look for danger in the water we're always sort of just finding our way what I call on what I call wisdom paths and um, that's another thing I, I don't ask for wisdom as much as I do wisdom paths anymore because I find that actually when I need wisdom usually it's time for me to go on a journey <laughs> so I just go on this journey with God and in that journey, he teaches me all kinds of things. And if I navigate it right, I get promoted. Because every problem that comes in front of you is an opportunity to be promoted. It's an opportunity for more, not less. Which is hard to believe. Sometimes some problems that come at us can be pretty heavy and uh, pretty rough. And, uh, but I've found if you learn your way around the Lord a little bit, you, you can actually turn your problems into promotions. And uh, when you get that mindset and the deeper it goes inside of you, uh, the stronger you get and the more able you are to handle life. And uh, more importantly, to handle life with God in obedience to God and with God's strength, right? So I have just three main points here, which has like 75 subpoints as I usually do, right? But anyway, at least I wrote it down so you can follow back through because I've got a ton of Scripture here because there's actually a ton of Scripture ab about the goodness of the Lord and how good He wants to be with you in your troubles, right? So the first thing I just say on your outline there is think differently. Think differently. We need to learn to think differently. God ultimately is your source and your resource. And I mean ultimately to the ultimate. <laughs> in the end, He's your source and your resource. So one of the sources that we can listen for is God's voice. Jesus put it this way, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, is that like a form of slavery or what? No. It's because the mouth of God will lead you through this life and prosper you. He'll give you answers for life's most difficult questions, for things you're worrying about, wondering about, your career, your marriage, your family, many, many decisions. So we don't live on bread alone, but how we navigate is we live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So bread representing how we make a living, perhaps, which is our most important thing in some ways, you know, how we do that and how we pay our bills and stuff. But actually, we don't live on bread alone, but we live on every word that comes out of the mouth of God because it directly affects everything. And so having said that, I just challenge you and encourage you one of the greatest ways that I've learned to hear God's voice in my life is to read my Bible. So I read through it every year for years and years. I, I read uh, maybe more than once through uh, every year, not the whole thing, but usually I try to do the one t Old Testament one time and the New Testament two or three times a year. And I just have found it so helpful. I, lear I learned part of this from my mentor. 
when I first came into the ministry, he had this little Bible reading plan he did. And as he stunned me in his walk with the Lord because we would all gather together every morning for prayer and he would tell us what was in his Bible readings that morning and what came to pass the next day. And he learned this from navigating his way in a very a, a horrible situation. He and his wife were missionaries in Cambodia when the Khmer Rouge invaded. So he had to make decisions every day about what to do to save his own life. As a matter of fact, he got out uh, barely by running out on the tarmac with a baby strapped to him and jumping in a plane as it was moving. So he's one of the last Westerners to leave. But in the process of all of that, he would take his Bible readings morning by morning and he had a whole group of people and they would tell him what to do, where to go, what you know, just give him specific leading. It's amazing when you read your Bible that way how it will speak to you. You'll read something in the morning and you'll be doing it that evening. It's amazing how God arranges that thing. If you haven't learned how to do that, not only read your Bible, but what you read, pay attention to. And you'll, if you do, you'll see how coincidental many times your day is, or the week maybe, something in the week is from something that stood out from you in your Bible readings. Here's the second thing that's incredibly important to uh, hear God's voice. Connect to the body of Christ in your local church. The thing is, uh, we are all gifted uh, by the Holy Spirit. I teach this in my Life in the Spirit class, and sometimes we have a whole teachings on spiritual gifts. But the thing is, everyone's not only a Christian or a believer who received Jesus Christ, their Lord and Savior, they are also packing. <laughs> I like to call it that. You have something on you that's supernatural. You are given and equipped with gifts. Some of these gifts are quite unusual, but those gifts are meant to be given away, and the most specific way they can be given away is to others who know you in a local church setting. So if you separate yourself from a local church setting or from other believers, you separate yourself from the voice of God. Not entirely, of course, not maybe mostly, but i tell you what, let's just say it's a grand resource for hearing God's voice. I can't tell you how much advice I've gotten, how much wisdom I've received how much help I've gotten just from the testimony of others and listening to their walk with the Lord. Uh, it's an incredible thing. The voice of God is so much stronger in your church and your church relationships than you can imagine. So stay close to church. Make relationships in church, small groups and little Bible studies we do, anything that involves a smaller group of people where you can meet people. I love our women's groups, our men's meetings. All of them are just smaller gatherings where you can... Uh, uh, to meet others. And by the way, uh, we're having a, quite a gathering here again that's coming up, the, the women's uh, dinner, but we're going to move it up to the 1st instead of the 8th, so I want to make sure everybody knows that. We had to do it because of some complications with some of our schedules, but so it'll be on December 1st, but I highly recommend that meeting. It's just a great time to make friends and relationships and hang out and meet each other's relatives and everything, but there's something really practical about the body of Christ. If you want to hear the voice of God, be intimately connected with others, and it'll help you hear the voice of God. They'll give you a piece of advice, or they'll pray over you, or, you know, sometimes if you ask, sometimes spontaneously. There's so much prophetic thing, ministry we have going on here, you never know when you're going to get a word from somebody, or somebody's going to have a dream about you, or whatever. That comes from being connected to the body of Christ. You need the body of Christ because you need to hear from God. So that's really, really important. I can't underscore that enough. People want to hear the, the, the God, but they don't understand how important their neighbor is to them to actually do that, right? Third thing is, listen for the Spirit's leading. And this is why we spend so much time equipping in the Spirit, just helping people to know that 
<clears throat> there's more than salvation. There's a, <clears throat> excuse me, there's a baptism of the Holy Spirit, filling with the Holy Spirit, repeated filling with the Holy Spirit. And one of the reasons why that is, is because you leak, <laughs> number one. And number two, you need to be refurbished in God's voice all the time. One of the most outstanding aspects of God's filling is His voice, that He speaks, that He encourages. An interesting thing about that is uh, because God's supernatural, don't have preconceptions about how He speaks. We always sort of want Him to speak uh, audibly, you know, or maybe kind of in a voice that has English or whatever. But sometimes God speaks the most dramatically through a very strong impression. Or I've had experiences with God where He let me know something and there was no medium. I didn't hear a voice. I didn't hear a sound. I didn't hear, a, I didn't read a scripture. And I'm walking in there and I've literally, a couple of times in my life, more than a couple, I've said, how are you telling me this? <laughs> there's no there's no voice or nothing. Just I just know. How do I know this? You know, and it's just a, uh, but the thing is, uh, you could ignore that and walk by it, but I, uh, but after testing that sense of of God's voice, where I don't even know how it came, it didn't come really through words or a voice. I just was there. I just knew what the right time and procedure was. I knew what it was supposed to do, right? And at some of those strategic points in my life, it's happened to me, and I've, I and I've, I've more than once I've literally said out loud to God, "How are you telling me this?" I just know what to do. How did you? I mean, how how are you getting through? There's no normal channels here, you know. I'm just I just know what I'm supposed to do, right? And uh, and that was it's been disconcerting sometimes. I I thought, but I thought, wait a minute. Now God's God. He can talk to me however He wants, you know. Get through in there however He wants, which is sort of a delight, you know. I think, wow, that's right. He he still talks. He can do it however He wants. He can do it conversationally. He can do it. In a burning bush, for heaven's sake, if you wanted, right? <laughs> the story of Moses. So, here's a second thing about thinking differently. Experience the supernatural love of God. I'll be teaching on this soon in my Life in the Spirit class. It's one of the most hallowed, if I could say that uh, word, uh, uh, experience in my life to experience the love of God. The, the love of God that comes and just uh, secures your soul and makes you know that he loves you. And um, that's the greatest voice of all. And when that voice comes, when that sound comes, that hug comes, it's not like any, you know, like I said, the medium is sometimes unknown. It is the most amazing experience anyone can have because from that point in time, you become very, very brave. But also I've noticed with it, I can hear God's voice much more clearly. So this is why Ephesians 3, Paul says, Pray that out of His glorious riches He may strengthen you with power through the Spirit in your inner being, so that your Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. So in my class life in the Spirit. I'm getting to that part of our class where we ask God to release the love of the Father on us. I got ambushed the love of God at Eddie Peoric's class first and at John Wimber's table the next morning in a way that I never could have ever believed. I'd been pastoring for a number of years by that time and uh, I just totally got ambushed by the love of God. It affected me physically. I couldn't stand. I was shaking and trembling. 
I was hearing God uh, tell me how much He loved me. I was hearing information about specific things, uh, you know, that I was troubled with, and it was just uh, like a stamp like that. And uh, Eddie had talked about that. I'd heard him speak about it, but I never realized that there was actually an impartation, and it's affected everything in my life since. And I know that when I feel the love of God, when I'm aware of His love, I'm actually aware of His voice in a much more real way. So I want you to know these supernatural experiences exist. They're not that far away. God never made anything far away. But they are experienced uh, through faith. And so it, uh, and sometimes faith along with an ambush helps. You know, because actually whenever God does something new in your life, one thing I've noticed, especially if it's supernatural enough, you can shut it down real quick out of fear or out of unbelief. So as God begins to do something new in your life, it's so important that you go with it a little bit, you know. Um, we have a tendency in our culture, because of the way our culture is put together, to secularize things. We're a very secular culture in terms of the way we look at life and the world. You might not know that about yourself, but that's the way we are. And I teach about that a little bit, to help, especially when you compare yourself, we compare ourselves to other nations and peoples. Other people's, matter of fact, most of the world's population today is mobilized by a supernatural worldview. The way they see reality, they feel it, they, they see it as a complex interaction between spirits and uh, spiritual beings. And uh, I know that sounds strange, seeing that in the United States of America, but the Bible is written from a spiritual worldview, right? So sometimes it's hard from a Western point of view, which... The uh, only thing we allow is something at Halloween and the possibilities there might be something to scare you half to death in a spook house or something, right? But we don't really really take seriously demons demon and uh, angels and all of that. But most cultures of the world historically and up to date still do. When you get the whole scope of the world population, by the way, we are only a small part of the world's population and of humanity. We act like we're the larger part sometimes because of the blessing God's given us. But in the corporate experience of people around the world, the spiritual worldview is very, very much in place, right? So when it comes then to hearing God's voice, sometimes we're a little bit disadvantaged because what people have uh, believed for years and listened for for years through dreams and visions and stuff is uh, easier and uh, uh, easier for them. I want to just get back to this whole supernatural love thing again. Uh, look at John 5, 19 and 20. Very truly, I tell you, the Son can do nothing by Himself. He can do only what He sees His Father doing. So we're talking about navigating life's problems. So one of the best things we could do is just do what the Father's doing. Whatever He's doing in our life, cooperate. Well, sometimes I don't think He's doing anything. Oh, when love comes, when intimacy comes with God, you find out that uh, you just didn't know what He was doing. <laughs> You weren't listening. You didn't have any ears to hear, right? But he's doing stuff all the time. I don't need to know about it. If I knew about all of it, I'd drive myself crazy. But the important stuff, kind of important to know. So let me just go back here. Very truly I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. But here's the key to that verse. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these that you'll be amazed. This is a very critical phrase. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. So this love 
with encounter from the Father was also a revelatory voice. So when you feel the affection from God, you can also hear His voice better. And sometimes very specifically, sometimes it's just generally about things. Sometimes I'll feel this sense of God's compassion on me, and I'll know that it's my time to minister to that person because I have something in me to minister to them with. I, I can feel the compassion of God. Jesus often did that. It often motivated him. You can see it in the scriptures. He'd feel compassion. Now, those words are very powerful. It's very, very powerful. It's actually one of my ring, ring, ring in my brain. I know that I'm on, even with a perfect stranger. If I feel compassion for a perfect stranger, I'll walk up to him and start talking with him. I don't even know what I'm going to say. I just do it. I think this is what was happening a lot in times of great uh, movement of the Spirit. One of the things that's not talked up, uh, talked enough about as we look back on the Jesus people movements and other movements throughout history is that at the same time there was great power, there was great love. That's why one of the most famous bands out of that entire movement was called Love Song. It was the compassion. It was a compassion for the broken, the outcast, the weak. That compassion moved on the heart and there was so much supernatural activity because there was so much compassion. And so it's a supernatural compassion. And so it's so important for the Father loves the Son. When you feel affection for God, your ears open up for other people. We love, why? Because He first loved us, right? That's a very real connection. When you feel loved, the whole world opens up to you. When you don't, you feel lonely, you feel afraid, you feel somehow closed off. And I've experienced that so much. So actually, as I, I even teach this. It's coming up actually in my class. And I talk about the love of the Father a couple of weeks. Uh, I already have a little bit. But the reason, why, and that's why class, if you keep me mention, hear me mention that, we have classes that we do on Wednesday night. And we do it every Wednesday night for 11 weeks. I think we're in week six or seven now. But... Uh, you come to my class if you like. This week, we're going to talk about that. You, it's not too late to come. Come come if you want. But we'll be more importantly, we won't be talking about it. We'll be imparting it. Because actually, if, once you enter this realm, you have some kind of dimension of being able to impart the very thing you're talking about. So um, we'll be imparting that uh, by God's grace. Look at uh, Psalm 27. 13 and 14, I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord, be strong, and take heart and wait for the Lord. Now, this is written by David. So he is talking about his relationship with the Lord. But David had a few problems. Did you notice that? If you read about his life, <laughs> he was being chased around the country by everybody for a while there. There wasn't a friend that he had for a long time. But he had this, he, and he wrote these, some of these psalms in the process of that, but I love this one. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. So when you have that confidence, it's amazing what you can do. And the reason why David did that was because, he said that is because he encountered the beauty and the love of God. Now, if you look at Psalm 27 a little bit earlier, which is uh, so, such a great psalm, it's so important, but it's important to, to understand uh, from these psalms the application to our own lives, right? And also the background. So what David was experiencing was this incredible compassion of God, and he had a few things to be worried about, believe me. So if you look at this, this literally happened to him. I don't know how many of you ever had an army besieging you, but here we go. You thought you had problems. 
Sometimes we look at these characters in the Bible and we think, oh, what a nice person, you know, the good shepherd, you know. And even if you look at the good shepherd part, a shepherd was a, was a really hard life, a dangerous life. You're out there alone and these lions and bears are around trying to take, you had to beat them up. You didn't have the army. You didn't have a gun. You just had to go hand-to-hand combat or you lost your entire living or your family's living. So he's out there. He understood. That's why he wrote, the Lord is my shepherd. You know, I shall not want. I won't be in want. And he began to compare his life to the way he provided for his sheep. Listen to this, though. Though an army besieged me, and remember, David had an army besieging him, several armies, from his own people, and then the Philistines, and then other nations. Somebody was always trying to knock his block off. So, though an army, and they were after him because he was the leader. Though an army besieged me, my heart will not fear. How can you not be fear if an army is besieging you. The war break out against me, even then I will be confident. Wow, sounds arrogant. Well, it came from this place. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek Him in His temple. So he saw the beauty of the Lord. And there's nothing more spectacular about the beauty of the Lord than the love of the Lord, the love of God. He experienced Him experientially, meaning in the emotions, in the heart, in the mind. For in the day of trouble he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his sacred tent I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. So he's getting his muse, his, his, uh, his inspiration like from worship, music. That's one reason why I, I love worship. I surf wor- worship for love. I found intimacy and compassion in love. That's why I like we like to sing love songs here, because they encourage the, the uh, love of God in the inside of us. They secure our soul. And David was saying, look, I, I love the beauty and the love of God. You know, that secures me for when I have to go out and fight these horrible battles. And, uh, and boy, did he have to fight some horrible battles. So, see in your outline, think differently. This second point was experiencing the love of God. First was listening and understanding that God still speaks. Listen for God's voice. The third thing here I have is petition with joy and confidence toward God. Petitioning is a relational ask, uh, a relational act. Actually, it's a relational ask, A-S-K. I said it right the first time. Because, you see, the thing is, this uh, thing we call prayer is extremely relational, and it's kind of important that we we get that down and we we understand it, you know, from the, and and, uh, one of my favorite asking prayers is uh, Philippians chapter 4, and I want to read these, even Matthew 6, how does it start? The Lord's, what we call the Lord's Prayer, how does it start? Anybody know? Our Father. It starts right, now, here's a problem, we didn't have such a great dad, or didn't experience love with them, it kind of is a block when you're communicating with God because our Father means nothing to you. Matter of fact, it might mean bad things to you, right? If you had a good father or a pretty good father, maybe it's a little better, right? But this is how Jesus spoke to his own dad, to his own God, but his dad, right? He called him his dad, and that's what we have as an inheritance. I don't mean to demean God's kingship, but I do mean that's how he taught us to pray. Jesus said, here's how you pray. Our Father who art in heaven. Philippians 4, 4 4-9. Rejoice in the Lord always, I will say it again. Rejoice. Now, 
I'm going to go through this part uh, because now we're, we're getting into petitioning as a relational act. So we're not only petitioning, but we're petitioning to someone that actually cares and wants the best for us and wants to answer our prayers. So thinking differently means that you have to develop a prayer life. And uh, so by that, I mean, well, here's a great way to start. Just ask for everything. (laughs) I started this way as a child. You know how I started this way? Because my second grade Sunday school teacher told me that I could ask for anything and God would give it to me. And I listened to her say that, and I thought all the things that I wanted, from that red bike to you name it, and I thought, hot dog, this is a deal. (laughs) I can still remember when it came into me. It was like prayer came into me at that moment. Boy, I tell you what, talk about Sunday school. Prayer came in. From that moment forward, I began to pray for all kinds of things. And as a child, I prayed for all these things, and they kept coming to pass. I'd pray that I'd be the most valuable player of the football team. It would happen. That happened in fifth grade. Then I prayed again in sixth grade. It happened again. I mean, I literally prayed for these little trophies that I wanted that I thought were so cool, right? Athletics and anything you could think of that I thought was cool to have, I'd pray for it. Even my parents didn't want me to have it. I'd pray for it, you know? And eventually it'd show up, like the BB gun that showed up when I was nine. I mean, I would literally, they said, no way, you, you are never going to get a BB gun. Never. Some kid down the street, something had happened, a guy's eye shot out or whatever, I don't know. But uh, never. So what did I do? Well, I took it higher. I went beyond my parents to my heavenly father. You know, and, and I learned. I genuinely learned. Uh, that woman who was a great prayer warrior, uh, and, and she taught us little kids, and she would demonstrate it, you know, and, and then I'm thinking, this is the best deal on the planet. I can, and I'd ask her, I'd say, can I ask for this? Yeah. Well, what about that? Oh, yeah. Really? Wow. Good deal. Okay. So I just solidified that in my heart. Well, here, look at uh, Philippians 4, 4 to 9. Rejoice, Lord, always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. Wow. This is a great place to come right here. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Now that thanksgiving is like salting your request. It's like putting salt on your food, right? (laughs) So you can barge in there and say, ah, you know, just have your long list, you know. And uh, you know how that goes over well at Christmas when your kids come to you with that snotty nose thing and say, I want this, this, and you know, or any other snotty way. If they come with you just a nice way and just, you know, and keep talking to you, and they, they learn through the years how what be- kind of petitioning works the best, right? They learn. They kind of they get savvy. You know, approach Dad this way, and you might get that, but don't approach him this other way because he ain't get nothing, right? <laughs> Whenever we see that snotty nose thing, you know, or that, that spirit of entitlement, you know, just <laughs> shut down, right? But they learn to navigate that. Do not be anxious about anything but every, but every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving. So maybe we need to learn to navigate that. I just think, could I just say something? Uh, well, I'm up here, so I get to say it. You know, so I shouldn't ask for permission. But anyway, uh, I'm, I guess I'm asking you to listen. With thanksgiving, present your request. Uh, present your request to God. This is such a powerful, powerful uh, principle. I just can't underestimate this at all. 
and uh, how important this is in your prayer life. So uh, uh, Philippians uh, chapter 4 is a part of this. Uh, I think uh, when we look down through these verses, I'll just read through it. Do not be anxious about anything but in everything by situation, but petition, prayer and petition with thanksgiving. Present your request to God and the peace of God which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So this whole thing about praying and everything seems to be much deeper than just asking down a list, right? I guess maybe if we connected it with answers, then what we're, we're, we've experienced this peace. Oh, thank God I got to pray about that. Or thank God I prayed with somebody and we agreed in prayer about that. So when your prayer life goes to that place, you see a lot more. For one thing, you begin to pay attention to a lot more because actually sometimes God answers the prayer, but He answers it a little later than you experience, and then you remember, oh, I prayed about that a long time ago. But why be in that space? I like to pray over things and then monitor their progress, check in all the time, watch and see if it's there, you know, like a kid at Christmas, you know, wondering what's in the packages and shaking the box. You know, I shake the box, you know, all the time with God. And um, so I think this is really uh, important just in terms of understanding how, how God works. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things, whatever you've learned or heard, received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. So again, the whole subject here is prayer and interacting with God and in the end of it, let me ask you a question. Do your prayers cause you more peace or do they make you more anxious? Good question. Sometimes we don't even want to pray about stuff because the more we think about it, the more afraid we get. <laughs> Something's wrong there. You ever notice that? Something's wrong. You don't even want to bring it up. You don't even want to say it. You don't want to bring it up to the top. But I just think the more afraid you are, the more you should go boldly to a throne of grace and say, I need help, <laughs> you know. And not necessarily in a spirit of desperation, but God doesn't mind desperation, you know, every once in a while. I just wouldn't want to make a habit of it. I mean, can you imagine what it would be like if you have your kids and they're always desperate? Dad, I need a new bike. Or many other smaller things. If they always came to you like that, running around like they're out of their mind, like, ah, ah, ah. what's wrong with you, boy? You know, girl, what's the matter with you? And then it, then it gets irritating. So Psalm 100 says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise. Give thanks to him, praise his name. For the Lord is good. Is that not coming up on the screen? For the Lord is good, and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Psalm 104. All right, second thing, navigating life's problems. Give generously. Sow seeds of faith toward breakthrough. This is so incredibly powerful you can't imagine because when God gets a hold of your pocketbook he has a hold of you but the thing is he wants to get a hold of your, uh, your pocketbook not to torment you <laughs> or to test whether you really love him right he it's the law of sowing and reaping that he built in the whole universe and the way things are put together all of life is based on the seed time and harvest that's how we eat right and it takes place in so many other dimensions of life. So look at this. You can sow the bad seed or you can sow good seed. So you can sow generous seed or stingy seed. Do not judge and you will not be judged. Ooh, good one. You might want to think about that one for a moment. 
What does it mean to be judged? Uh, especially by upstairs. I don't. I got enough problems without that. I don't need that. Okay. How about you? Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Wow. So you got to watch what comes out of your mouth and how you say it. Plus, condemnation and judgment with too much of that produces a sort of arrogance in you. Right? And arrogance is actually the opposite of God. God gives grace to who? The humble. So I think probably I need grace. I probably got to be watching my tongue and I probably watch how I evaluate things. Forgive and you will be forgiven. So sort of like however you want others to evaluate you, evaluate them. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure. Now, so it's like he says it, and then he gives guys, hmm, I like what I said. Let's see. It'll be given to you. Well, how much will we be given? Well, it's a good investment. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured in your lap. For with the measure you use, it'll be measured to you. So don't forget that part. With the measure you use, it'll be measured to you. But the good measure thought, the giving and the good measure is this agricultural term. You know, Receiving the crops, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. It's like this abundance, right? Wow. So as you release a seed of faith toward your problem, you become part of the answer. So many times in my problems, it's not just financial, but sometimes there's another kind of giving that might be available of my time or effort or energy. But when I'm stuck especially, I always ask the Lord, Lord, what can I give? What can I release toward the solution to this problem? So uh, this faith thing is uh, such a really big thing. And uh, learning to, to respond to things in faith at the right moment is very powerful. So there's the kind of response we make in faith and prayer when we thought about it. But often I think God tests us, you know, with our speech, our action. You know, we're really holy and full of faith when we're in the prayer room. But then we get out in the world and someone pushes us the wrong way or a situation comes up that's absolutely frightening in our work, right? And how we respond to that is really, really important. So as you release a seed of faith toward your problem, you become part of the answer. So I like to become a part of the answer to my problems as fast as possible. How about you? Right? So I don't want to be in the way. Fear only attracts demons. Unbelief attracts demons. I got enough problems as it is without having supernatural demonic help, right? So it makes sense, doesn't it? When they came to the crowd, a man approached Jesus and knelt before him. Lord, have mercy on my son, he said, as he has seizures and is suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. And the first thing Jesus says, he can see the scenario. He sees how his disciples reacted to the situation. It was probably a demonic manifestation, probably freaked them out, and they ran the other way, you know. <laughs> he probably saw this thing manifest, you know, something, you know, growl at him or speak from the other side, right? And Because uh, he's falling on the wire, there's demons torturing him. So, you know, he comes and they're going to try to help him, you know, and the demon talked back. Now, I don't know how many experienced a demon talking back to you. It's not a very pleasant experience. But one thing you learn when you're having to try to help a person get delivered is you cannot respond to it. You have to go right past it. Ignore it, bind it, however you want to do it, but you cannot go back. And also, one thing they love, if you're ever in a talk with a demon, they love to talk back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. You don't put up with it for two seconds. 
you know, just bind it and it's gone, ignore it right after. And they'll try to start wha- wagging their head. I don't know why I'm talking about all this, but anyway. Well, it said demon, right? So, <laughs> so let me just put it this way. A simple declaration of faith at the right moment was what was needed in this situation. You unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy in here to me. Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of the boy and he was healed at that moment. Then the disciples came to Jesus in private and asked, why couldn't we drive out? He, he replied, because you have so little faith. The thing intimidated him so much that they couldn't do any business with it. They, they freaked out. And, not, and with good reason. Still, isn't it amazing how Jesus says, look, I've called you to be bigger than you are. I've called you. I've put my name on you. You need to learn to navigate this territory. You have to. Truly, I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say this mountain, move from here to there, and it'll be, move. Nothing will be impossible for you. And I, I love the way he put that, because he said it in the context of the power of God compared to the co- power of demon. So, what might look like a demonic thing, and like, and by the way, I think uh, we give entirely too much credit to demons sometimes. And uh, too much attention. They love attention, right? And I just encourage you with all my heart just to stay in this place of faith and deal with it if you have to, but do not make a worship of how powerful you are with this and that. You know what I mean? You just move on. Don't give too much attention to this area. It only takes a grain, a faith the size of a mustard seed. Isn't that interesting, the context he's saying this? It doesn't take a lot of faith to move them. If you want to give them ground and make it look like it requires a mountain of faith, fine. But you just need Jesus' name on your lips. You might have to wait a little bit. They may come back or something may try to come back at you or a bad thought or whatever. Just ignore it. Hey, I've already dealt with that. I've already prayed with that. Leave me alone in Jesus' name, right? James uh, 1, uh, five, uh, 5 to 8. I love this passage and passages like it so much uh, because there's a, I found out there's a wisdom path uh, for every situation of life. And um, I like to call it wisdom path, okay? So let's just read this passage. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. And it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Now, can I just say something about this passage? Uh, Well, I will, because I'm speaking, so whether you like it or not. Anyway, but I'm just trying to be polite. But any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. Now, what happens here... How many ever asked for wisdom? And then said to yourself, I didn't get nothing. (laughs) Okay. So I've asked many times like that. But I figured this passage out several years ago. Not that many years ago. But I found out that actually we always want to do everything and we're like, we we want to do things like we cook our food or like we get our gas, you know, or (laughs) I mean everything, boom, boom, boom. And if it delays, boy, I tell you what. You know, uh, I hate waiting in line for anything, you know, push, 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 push. Sometimes I have to ask myself, I'm, I'm in a hurry to do something, I think, and I ask myself, why are you in such a hurry? I don't have an answer. I don't know. Just got to get th- things done. W- well, why? I don't know. It's got to, I don't really have an answer for that, right? <laughs> I mean, he says, 
Hurry, hurry, hurry. Quick, quick. Be efficient. Be effective. You know, that kind of thing. Well, I have a busy schedule like you do, but it's not that busy. And I find out I, I have a hurry up gene in my spiritual constitution sometimes that bleeds over from the world. So this is important now about this subject. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all. Without finding a follow, will be given to you. And when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Now listen, there's a good side to what I'm about to say here. Listen, when you ask for wisdom, think about this. Think about finding a wisdom path. This is help concept has been so helpful to me. When I'm asking for wisdom, I have now decided to walk with God. I'm on a path. I'm walking. And I see that, oh, look at that over there. There's a nice lake over there. Walking a little bit further. Oh, a dirt road over there. Oh, there's a farmhouse. You know, <laughs> you just walk like that. So in your problem, when you walk with a wisdom path, what happens is God doesn't reveal it to you all at once, the wisdom. You think he's just going to give you a computer printout and give you the solution to everything, right? Our culture is put together like this so much. Find the owner's manual and just get down through that, you know. But even then, there's a wisdom path. You do this before you do this before you do this, right? Even in the owner's manual, right? Certain things have to be in place. And so I found out that this is such a pleasure in my life and walking with God when I'm asking for wisdom. You say, okay, God, I need wisdom. And then I start watching for little signs of wisdom, pieces of information, a scripture here, a scripture there. It's, it's like playing lost and found with the Lord. And you get a hint, you know, and then you get a little further, and you get a little hint. I tell you, this is the way I get wisdom. And uh, every once in a while I'll get a download of wisdom all at once, I'll know what to do, but that's usually at the end. Because things have led up to a place and finally I go, oh, and I hear a voice. This is the way I walk in it. But I had to take a path before I could get to that place of this is the way I walk in it or knowing what the right decision is. You see? And in the process, what do you think happens in that process? You develop a relationship with God. You begin to work with God. God uses your problems to develop a relationship with you and to give you a heart of wisdom. And so you get better and better at problem solving when you don't get so anxious. Plus the anxiety of having it in the moment, it cuts you right out of the equation right there. You're so afraid you couldn't hear God's voice anyway. Right? So... We just want to make sure perfect love casts out right, the enemy. Perfect love casts out fear. Fear is one of your biggest enemies to finding wisdom. But if you're patient, say, well, I don't know the answer now, but I think I'm, I'm getting a little hang of it. I'm kind of getting closer. Oh, that was a dead end. Okay, that was good to know. And actually, God's always trying to do, give you more wisdom, not less wisdom. He doesn't hide from you to torment you or because you're a bad person. He hides from you to give you more. Because sometimes as I'm pursuing the answer to this question, I discover things I didn't know and actually come away with more, not less. I thought I needed... Sometimes I'm not even asking the right question. Have you ever noticed that? You're asking a question, but it's not the right one. <laughs> you thought you had the right question, so you're going, you know, freaking out, but you weren't even asking the right question yet, right? So that's why wisdom path is extremely important. You might want to underline that in your outline. I know you guys take these outlines home, and I know all of you study them really thoroughly after I'm done. So, Here's another thing about <clears throat> uh, becoming a part of the answer. Um, 
Sowing breakthrough seeds honors God and blesses others. One of the most dramatic seeds you can sow right away is forgiveness. So Luke 6, 37, 38, forgive and what? You'll be forgiving. So right. Do not condemn and you'll not be condemned. Forgive and you'll not be given. Do not judge and you'll not be judged. Do not judge and you'll not be judged. This is really, really important uh, in terms of your, your problems, right? In terms of navigating life. Sowing generous seeds moves us toward God, hope, and abundance. 2 Corinthians 9, 16 to 8. 6 to 8, sorry, I love this so much. I can't tell you how important this verse is. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work as it is written. They have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. That's the little verse I add there, but it's so important. And um, I don't know about you, but I want to be a church and a people that freely scatters their gifts to the poor. Then your righteousness endures forever. But it's all connected to be abundance. You can't outgive God. You just can't. So if you're a generous person, you're going to get all kinds of things back. You're going to hear God's voice. You're going to get things back that you didn't, you, you didn't even plan on. It's amazing. You're like a magnet of favor at that time. Some seeds you sow may not look like they're connected to your breakthrough. The cross of Jesus Christ did not look so great to anybody looking on. I just can't imagine what those disciples went through. I mean, I would say that their experience with seeing Jesus on a cross probably drained any bit of faith they had in their heart quite dry, right? And they acted like that in the beginning until things began to rearrange a little bit, right? But that day, looking at that body hanging in blood on the cross and crucified and abused with nothing to stop the abuse, nothing to stop the torture, must have been one of the most disconcerting, horrible days of their whole, whole life, right? But the cross, is, though it was sown in weakness, is critical. It's where the victory was won. And so sometimes there's suffering we do. Sometimes there's difficulty we experience that doesn't seem to be connected to your breakthrough at all. But one thing has always gone before us, the cross of Jesus Christ, who took your suffering and got your breakthrough for you in so many, many ways. He suffered in so many ways so you wouldn't have to suffer. And if you do suffer, you have someone that knows how to get you through to the other side, understands he was a man acquainted with grief right? Which makes it really uh, helpful when you're needing a breakthrough in something. You know, if it's something where, you know, just it's always, you know, but you look at Jesus' life. He lived a very hard life, and those disciples lived hard lives, and they lived as an example for us. Life's not easy. And if you really want to be a strong believer, it's not easy. There's suffering involved, right? But the cross and suffering is connected at times to your breakthrough. Sometimes there are things that you have to go through to get to the other side, right? And Jesus already went there in advance, no matter what, you're suffering. But there's also answers. So there's with a cross without a resurrection is a big problem, right? <laughs> a big problem, right? But the cross is what qualifies us because God took the sins of the whole world on him, which gave us complete access to the Lord. Without him suffering like that, we wouldn't have access to Jesus Christ. So we had to do that so that your prayer life works. 
said, you can ask anything in my name and I will do it. That's what he said because of what he did. He took your guilt, that shame, he took it to the cross and eliminated it so you have access to God. And if you sin, you just got to say, oh, I did it. I tell you, I did it is one of the best ways to hear God's voice. Don't hide sin. Don't hide this uh, failure. Just bring it out of the open, confess it, and then don't wear it on your sleeve for like 10 years. Guilt, it's nothing. It, all that stuff, cult you off, uh, cult, uh, um, it, it uh, cuts you off from your breakthrough, from hearing God's voice and moving forward with breakthrough, right? Look at Isaiah 58, 6 to 11. This is so powerful. This is God's speaking to us. Is this not the kind of fasting I've chosen to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke to set the oppressed free? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Oh, man. Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Are you getting this? This lifestyle, this generosity lifestyle that I'm explaining to you right now, the same generosity that came because Jesus demonstrated at the cross, giving his own life for us, this which resulted in millions and upon millions and millions of people being saved and sons and daughters and goodness throughout the whole world. This whole thing is part of this lifestyle he's talking about here is, is so amazing. And I, I just, I'm going to read these verses again, then I'm going to read what you get out of this. Here's the kind of fasting I'd like you to do. I want you to be concerned about injustice. I want you to untie the, yoke, the cords of the yoke. I want you to set the oppressed free. I want you to share your food with the hungry. I want to pro provide the poor wanderer shelter. We don't have to do this. We get to do it. Are you kidding me? Look at the reward on the other side of it to provide the poor wanderer with shelter. You know, I, sometimes I, like, we, we do so much with the weak and the poor, and people look at us like, oh, you know, like Mother Teresa, you know, or something, and we're nowhere close to her, which, you know, I met her and what she used to do. But the thing is, um, this is also a business proposition. <laughs> you can't understand. If you don't have any compassion, you know, frankly, most of us are too busy to think too compassionately and too deeply, unless we've been wounded ourselves and we see someone that's just like us, right? So then when we see poor wanderers out there that are suffering so badly, we might have a little compassion. But if you went through it yourself, mental illness or something that caused you to be on the street or have people in your household like that, then what happens is you have a different kind of compassion, right? But look, even without that, look, if we can just understand as a scriptural injunction, let's just do this as our lifestyle. Let's share our food with the hungry. Let's provide the poor wanderer with shelter. You know, we're still stinkers. We're not Mother Teresa. We're still going to do bad stuff. But why don't we just show compassion, right? When you see the naked to clothe them and, and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood, do we do this perfectly? Sometimes make a religion out of this, like we have to do this perfectly all the time. I am free to not do this or to do this. I see this as an opportunity to see God's blessing rest on us. I see it as also an opportunity to make a difference in the world. But I'm not going to make, I, I don't want to become have a religious spirit about all this. I can do it or not do it. When the love of the Father comes, you get to do it 
You don't have to do it. It's just that the amazing thing is, if you look at this, the rewards are so incredible. Why would you not do this kind of stuff, right? <laughs> it still costs you. But in the end, look what you get. Your light will break forth like the dawn. Your healing will quickly appear. Your righteousness will go before you. And the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. That's just for starters. <laughs> so you could kind of be an entrepreneur in this, right? Then you'll call and the Lord will answer. Answered prayer. You'll cry for help and He'll say, here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, ooh, that wouldn't have to involve the poor at all. That's why be careful how you handle even the political season. Oh, put the finger away. <laughs> even for people that deserve it. <laughs> Can't believe I just said that. Anyway, never mind. Me and my television set. And if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. Wow. The Lord will guide you. How often? I want to be led by the Spirit. I want to be led by the Spirit. Do this kind of stuff and you'll be led by the Spirit. And not just every once in a while, the Lord will guide you always. And He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land. And He will strengthen your frame. You'll be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Wow. And it goes on and on and on. Why is that? Well, navigating life's problems. So navigate the problems of the week. And you'll find out how much God will help you navigate your own stuff. Ignore the weak. Ignore the poor. Ignore the broken. And you won't get as much. Just as simple as that right? That's why we don't have to do this with the warehouse or any of the rest of we do it. We get to do it. It's not like a, a huge burden and a huge sacrifice. It's a blessing because I know what I get on the other side of it. I tell you, and uh, I've experienced enough to know, man, I don't have to do this. I get to do it. It's my greatest privilege. And I thank God that he let me do it right around the corner, right across the, the way here. Even with the guys are doing stuff on Sunday I don't want them to do and moving stuff around while you're kidding here and other little problems that cope with. It's messy. To this lifestyle is messy. It's disorganized. It doesn't fit in your own little paradigm. Part of the poor and the weak are that they show up at the most inappropriate moments. They don't fit in your schedule very well. It's horrible. Or is it? I don't know. To get used to it, I think you begin to see the benefit. Jeremiah 22:15. He defended the cause of the poor and the needy. Well, I must go up above it. Does it make you a king to have more and more cedar? Did not your father have food and drink? He did what was right and just, and so all went with, well with him. So this is his ancestor, right? He defeated the, this. He's talking about the king before. He's, uh, he's criticizing this current king. He defended the cause of the poor and needy, and so all went well. Is that? Not that what it know, means to know me, declares the Lord. But your eyes and your heart are set on dishonest gain and on shedding innocent blood and on oppression and extortion. So he's rebuking. But he said, you know, I liked your dad, the way he was handling things. That's why he prospered. Right at the top of the list was he defeated, defended the cause of the poor and the needy. Mark chapter 6 is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. It's a very familiar one, but it's a prophetic one. 
So he sees all these people gathering around him, thousands and thousands, and then he says this to them, you give them something to eat. And they're going, what? That would take more than a half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do we have? He asked. Go and see. Well, when they found out, it's only five and two fish. You give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. Wow, it goes even further. You give them something to eat even when you don't think you have enough yourself. You still do it. Make that your priority. And so we continue to do that here by God's grace. You know, what you see in terms of progress and stuff just emerged over a number of years. But we sowed some heavy seed, not only when we were strong, but when we were weak. And not only here, but overseas. And I'm not just trying to pat us on the back, but I just know something about this. You give them something to eat is, eat is always on. Even when you don't think you have enough. Especially maybe when you don't think you have enough. That's called F-A-I-T-H. Faith. But it's, it's well-positioned faith. When you give, you get. When you have compassion, you receive compassion. When you give mercy, you get mercy. It's all through the Scripture from beginning to end. Even this funny, I think it's hilarious. Remember when Jesus uh, got buried, you know, I mean, Lazarus got buried just before Jesus got buried, right? Lazarus got buried, and so Jesus comes to the stone, and he tells them to roll it away. It's very interesting. Their first response is, he stinks. <laughs> don't, don't roll it away. He probably stinks by now. We, we don't want to do that, right? You know what I think? That was so against their culture and so against like what they had thought of uh, I, I think that uh, it just blew them away. And so they did, they actually rolled away the stone in faith. They had no feeling that there was going to be a resurrection at all. Otherwise, they'd have done it gladly. But in faith, they, okay, whatever you say, man, you're, man, Jesus, you're really going off the end this time, man. Rolls it away. Lazarus, come forth! <laughs> I'll tell you, I just. That's one miracle I wish I would have been at. I really would have liked to have seen that. You know? And then I wish I would have not have known either. Just been with everybody else thinking the same thing. What are you doing? It's going to stink, man. I want to, I want to leave a blessing and everything. We want to honor this guy, Lazarus. And you're going to cause the whole thing to stink and nobody's going to honor anybody. They're going to leave. <laughs> Roll the stone away. Okay, fine. <laughs> I told you. <laughs> and then boom, Lazarus come forth. Wow. What an amazing thing. God does things so oppositely. I think we should learn to worship the opposite God. You know, <laughs> call him the opposite. Our natural feelings, our natural instincts, everything runs against that. That's why in places of great learning and culture and great accomplishment with our cars and our boats and our progress and technology, that's why we have a harder time with miracles and things like this than the third world does. They don't have all that to depend on. And they're a lot humbler of heart, so they'll, they'll just, you know, try to raise the dead. You know, you said we could do it. Okay, fine. You know, and these things. And so they see more out of their desperation and their pain, right? Anyway, I don't, I don't want to be... I think we can be that way without being in the third world situation, right, in our own life. Haggai 1, 2, 1, 2 to 11. In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came to, through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Je- Jehozadak, 
the high priest. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Now, these are refugees coming back after they had been uh, exported to another nation, after they had been exiled. They had nothing, meaning zero for their own wealth, for their own welfare, for their own food, for their own sustenance. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. He says, is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a, a ruin? You should have taken care of the Lord's house. He was after, why didn't you fix the Lord's house first? And then afterwards do your stuff. Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. And then he says this very carefully. He says, give careful thought to your ways. You planted much, but you harvest a little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You might even call that God's will, actually. You put on clothes, but you're not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. Oh, this inflation is killing me. This, this is the modern version of that. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains, bring down timber, and build my house, that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You know, God takes pleasure in what we do this morning. He likes His house. He likes His church. He likes to be worshipped. He likes to be honored. He likes to be put in the first place. Why? Because that puts the order in right space. And we honor Him, and then guess what? We get it back. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. <gasps> Why? declares the Lord Almighty. Because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with your own house. You don't care about my purpose in the earth, my church in the earth, what the church does in the earth. You just care about your own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. Ooh, are you getting the import of this? What they were doing was affecting the entire region around them and the poverty of the region around them. The stupidest thing you could ever do in a culture is remove the church or the church's influence. We are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. We cause the world to taste good. Because of us, our nation prospers. Right? especially when we're behaving properly toward the Lord Himself in sacrificial worship. I called for a drought on the fields because you guys wouldn't sacrifice to me. You would not take my priorities in place. And the mountains on the grain, the new wine, the olive oil, and everything the ground produces on people and livestock and all the labor of your hands. Ooh, all the labor of your hands? Are you kidding me? He calls for a drought on all that, right? And if you go to chapter 2, Verse 18, you know what they did? They repented. And the moment they began to build the house of the Lord, look what happened. I mean, this is the clearest connection between the people of God and the blessing of God and what they give attention to that's incredible. They start changing their mind. They begin to build the priest. I mean, build, build, they take care of the priest. They build, build the temple. Look at verse 18. From this day on, it's actually a day, the very day, they started and they changed their mind. I mean, there's, you know, like in that culture, they put a couple stones in place. From this day on, from this 24th day of the ninth month, give careful thought to the day when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Give careful thought. Is there yet any seed left in the barn? Until now, the vine and the fig tree, the pomegranate and the olive tree have not borne fruit. That's just another way of saying your economy stinks. From this day on, I will bless you. And there's an important principle here. From which day on? When they had obeyed, obeyed for nine, ten months and suffered and got it done? No. They turned their heart 
And the moment God said they turned their heart and they were following up with action. So that's why you say, well, God, you know, I've just been so slack about this and my giving or my selfishness or my money and everything. He's asking this people to do this with nothing. They didn't have stuff laying around. This was a war-torn zone. It was a disaster. They had demolished everything. And he said, I want the first fruits. I want the first fruits, the first tenth or however they measured it in that time with regard to crops. But it was a, certainly a, a measure, and tenth was a part of it. The tithe was a part of it, right? And from that moment, when they determined in their heart they were going to change, guess what happened? He said, from this moment on, you're going to begin to prosper. I just think that is such a... If you believe the Bible and understand the Scriptures, this is such a dramatic thing. You don't have to give. You get to. Are you kidding? Good measure. Press down, shaken together. God might test you on it. You may be tested a little bit over time, right? But this is how you navigate problems. You think differently and you give generously. Learning to do that, it's all through the Scripture over and over and over again, right? And Malachi puts it great. Will a mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we, how, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings, you're under a curse while you're... you're your whole nation, because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe in the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough, there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops. That sound familiar? And the vines in your fields will not, and, and the fi- vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Your whole world changes. Now, there's all kinds of other stories, which I don't have the time to go to. You should look through them. Elijah and the widow at Zarephath. Man, he tells this widow, give me something to eat. She says, I only got enough for me and my son. I'm going to eat it, and then we're going to die because we've been starving for days. So it's okay. Just give me something to eat. (laughs) So she does it in faces. From now on, you will never have lack anymore. From now on. You'll always have food. From now on, this moment forward, I will make sure it happens, right? He was testing her. It's a widow. What's he picking on a widow for? Because he wanted her to do well, but he knew she had to worship the Most High God. He was the solution, the permanent solution. And if she wanted to leave that space of limitation, she had to step out and go a different direction. So she would leave that space and not be a widow all the time, right? In the sense of not having enough. Widows suffered so greatly, we even hardly can identify with it now. Because once you lost the, the, the guy that earned the money, right, the person that was making the money, you just didn't do well. And he tells her to, you know, give me your last bit of food there. He was testing her. And the Lord, and she did it. It's amazing. Wow. And you see these wonderful stories. Uh, I, I'll always move on down to living expectantly, okay? The other couple of stories I have there are amazing. You should look at it and uh, read it. But just for time's sake, I just want to make sure. It's so important that once you learn to think a little bit differently, God's your source. He's the number one. I'm organizing my entire life around Him. I'm going to be connected to the body of Christ. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to look for the Spirit's uh, leading. I'm going to be a giver, a prayer. I'm going to be a part of people, and I'm just going to walk by myself. I'm going to walk with God. I'm going to walk with God in all the ways that God says to walk. I'm going to learn to be generous. I'm going to sow seeds of faith toward my breakthrough. In every possible way, there's a way to uh, have breakthrough. I have people that are especially good at breakthrough financially. You know what they do with me all the time? They're always sniffing 
you know, just kind of indirectly asked me, hmm, is something I could sow into? I just feel like I need to sow some more money somewhere like that, you know. They've developed that habit. They do it. They just get in a place and they, even when they might not, even their business turns down, that's what they do with me all the time. And I thought, man, you are so smart. I don't tell them that because I don't want to look manipulative or whatever. But I'm saying, <laughs> wow, you are so smart. And I have a number of them that do that with me, from, you know, and I, I think, wow. You're, and then I watch their life. I mean, their company and their work, they just keep going up and up and up, right? You can't outgive him. And also right now for the time we live in, it is a avalanche has hit us. There is a need on every corner and every way in the good old United States of America. What's the church got to do with it? Everything. The poor world's out there. They don't, have, they don't know their right hand from their left. They're trying everything they know how. I mean, you look at that whole city council in Los Angeles, and I'm watching how they're trying to, to solve these needs, and they're throwing them money here. They have a whole building here. Let's just all throw all of them in the building and see what happens. They throw them all in the building, and then people are killing each other and destroying each other. And I mean, they don't have any wisdom. They have no idea. But they, have, they understand the problem. They're trying to help, right? But we have answers, real answers. Hey, I'm going to help you, but you know, you need Jesus. You need a fishing pole. You not only need my food that I'm going to give you, this food I'm going to give you, you need a fishing pole. That's why Peggy's out there. <laughs> Three times a week, man, preaching the gospel, telling them about this, telling them about this miracle, and preaching to them because we're saving them on the inside. At the same time, we're saving them on the outside, and it makes all the difference in the world. And your church, we got to be the answer for our own finance, our own life. Your personal journey is about somebody else's journey. you got to learn to give and be a giver and a sharer and learn to the, navigate God's problems with God so you, can be faith, so you can be faithful and fruitful in the world. It's not just about your prosperity. That's where the prosperity gospel falls down. You get to the impression it's all about me. It's not about you. It's about you and the world. It's about the world, ultimately. A giving church leavens the world. We are the light of the world. We're the salt of the earth. And by the way, while you're being the salt of the earth, it's a really good deal for you too. And my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. You absolutely cannot outgive God. You cannot. I've tested it and tested it and tested it. I've risked it, I've risked it, and I've risked it. I'm telling you, I know what I'm talking about. I don't even want to tell you half the risks we've took around here. Because people are, oh my gosh, you know, that was a little risky, wasn't it? Yeah. But if it's directed the right way, okay, at least I failed trying to do something great for somebody else, right? Not for me. So, Lamentations 3 says, His mercies are new every morning. Live expectantly. You can stop worrying. You can expect God's protection. These are all the promises that come out of this lifestyle. You can expect God's wisdom. Oh, man, this is one of my favorite ones, wisdom, right? If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord since a person is double-minded, unstable in all they do. This is again, I want to say this again because this wisdom path again comes into line. If you always are putting so much pressure on the wisdom for a thing, a specific thing, 
and, and, and everything in your life is focused on the answer to that one little central issue in your life. What you could put, it might be a child, it might be uh, some issue with your job, whatever. Just take a step back. So think differently. Give generously. Take, take a step back, and then just say, God, I'm ready to go on the wisdom path. And then you just walk it out, and you go, Oh. Hey, that's good. Thank you very much for that, Lord. It's not the whole thing, but okay, I think I'm getting it. Oh, that was a bad step. Okay, what do I do now? And then you just go, just take step after step. And you know what in the process happens through that? A lot of us are in trouble because God wants to learn to walk intimately with us and wants to hear his, he wants to hear our, his voice. And when you go on a wisdom path, you make a just bad decision here, a good one there, and you're going, you're getting closer and closer, and you come out the other side. You know what happens? You become confident. You go, hey, wow, I remember what happened the last time. So, Peggy, you're going to have to go on a wisdom path, right, for your house, right? What to do or not to do, right? You're on a path. You've been on it for a while now, right? I am worried about you and Alvin too much because all the sewing and stuff, you'll find it. You're probably already found it by now. Have you found a house yet? They say yes. They said yes. Did you say yes? Are you sure you're going to do it? You already did it. You put your name on it and everything. The whole story. I said, well, I figured that would be, because you know what? A wisdom path always has a story. So the Lord bless you with your new house. Amen. All right. Last thing on there. Eh, I don't want to say that. Forget it. All right. Stand up. <laughs> one of the reasons why we have ministry time is not because we have a tradition of ministry time <laughs> I say this out loud so much and I know this is how God works and it's a genius plan I never would have come up with it myself or never would have thought of it myself. The vineyard thought of this a long time ago. Kind of what John began to say, he said, uh, everybody plays. And he meant by that that all of us are ministers, all of us ministry minister. But the thing is it goes a little bit deeper than that. God gives grace to the humble. And um, so in life, in real life, we're always trying to find the head guy, right? <laughs> right? If you can just touch the head guy, you know, you can finally get someone to solve your problem, right? You got to go higher, higher, higher. Even take a little bit of pride in that. Go to the best, the high guy, you know, right? And so sometimes we extend that down to church, you know, like if a pe- pe- people up in the front leading worship or speaking, like we we probably have the answer. We're probably the anointed one, right? Which actually is so, unless a person had a specific anointing where they're laying down their life in a specific way, maybe there might be something about it. But the fact is, if you've ever been around an anointed ministry, what they do best is not that they minister, it's just they create an atmosphere where miracles happen, right? And so they happen without them touching or praying for anybody. It's just like this atmosphere. But in the church, it's even more of a, a divine appointments are possible because God gives grace to the humble. So that's why when we have ministry team people up here, you know, so many people want me or somebody up the front to pray for them. And I think to myself, man, I got seven people up here who could pray for you better than I can. But no, no, it must be you because you're the whatever one, you know. But look, I just talk. 
I may have an anointing here or there, but not in a lot of things. There are people up here that are packing, man. They, they have seen more than I'll ever see in my whole life. And even if it wasn't that way, isn't it something? Your faith is the thing that counts. And you could have all kinds of different people praying for you, but if you have come up in faith and asking God for a miracle, take advantage of just this space where you humble yourself and come and ask somebody to pray for you that you might not even know. That's why the miracle is in the humility and in the grace of your faith coming, right? That's where the power is. The vineyard discovered that a long time ago. That's why we, we don't like to put one person up to be the great healer or to, you know, have a healing evangelist. That's why sometimes we get a little nervous about prophets and people that are coming because people get the wrong idea about them, you know, and they, well, you know, and, and they'll, you know, twice as many people show up if there's a prophet and they might, they might get a word, but oh my gosh, I've gotten some most simple, dramatic, crazy words from the most ordinary person, you know, just come up to me and they had no idea what I was going through and just said, you know, I got this scripture, you know, and I don't know if it's meaningful and I'm going, oh, you have no idea. Oh my gosh. You know, I try not to say much, you know, I'm thinking, wow, you know, this is incredible. I've just stumbled over my, I've had that happen to me over and over again. So I know. So the delivery system for miracles is right here. The body of Christ. Precisely because God likes it that way. God gives grace to the humble. He likes us to dial it down and just be the body of Christ and let us minister to one another. So I'd like the ministry team to come up. And I just know good and well out there today, there are things that you need. You need financial things. You need wisdom about decisions. You need healing in your body. You need direction. You need a place to stay. Whatever it is. So I'm just going to encourage you today. You might have to take some time. That's another thing. We always got time. Oh, I got to watch the ball game. I don't know. Well, I got to get out here and get the kids. Get the kids. It's the kids. The kids. You know, how long will it take you for you to come and just ask somebody to pray for you? I mean, I'll just pray for you. So... I need all the ministry team to come up, and we're just going to be just lowly servants of the Lord. We're going to ask God to bless you. But I just got a feeling today, um, if you respond today, I, I, and even response to this message, I, I, I got a feeling that in terms of navigating your problems, and I'm just going to pray a general prayer over it right now, and then we'll just pray all kinds of individual prayers up here. <laughs> you guys are all freaked out because you're afraid the camera is coming right here, and you don't want to be in it. We'll fill in in a minute. I know you guys. Me too. My big fat head's in it all the time. i got to figure out how not to be right there all the time. Anyway. All right. So I'm just going to close this in prayer, and then I just encourage you to come for prayer if there's any need in your life, right? And if you have to wait, you might just wait, and God just might make you wait for a little while to see what's going on in there. Are you really pursuing me, or are you just kind of pursuing me? Do you really have any faith or not, right? If you have a genuine need, don't leave this place without somebody praying for you. It's called the body of Christ. Oh, it's just a nice name. Is that a name? That's a reality, not just a name. We represent Jesus. So, Lord, I just want to ask you, I feel led to pray for this generally. Lord, I pray, God, that you would teach us to walk wisdom paths, even according to how I've declared it today, and not give up on those wisdom paths. I pray, Lord, for anybody that needs wisdom about the solution to their problem, you'd put them on a wisdom path. I pray you would help them navigate their problems. I pray you would teach them to think differently with the love of God in their heart, confident in God's speaking voice, confident to petition. I pray you'd put in them 
the ability to sow seeds of faith toward breakthrough, they sow into other people's lives that they would see breakthrough in their own lives. Lord, I pray that you would help them to look at life differently, see their situation and life around them all differently, to live expectantly and in faith. And as I'm saying that, I'm hearing with my other ear, for you that have been through divorce and you're walking around and broken and wounded and it wasn't fair and somebody just mortally wounded your spirit, in the name of Jesus, look up your head up. Your life's not over, it's just beginning. God gives grace to the weak and the broken. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord surround you with favor. May God encourage you. I just have a specific word about that. May the Lord rebuild your life. May the Lord reconsider you. May the Lord put his wind behind your back in every way. Just for that specific category of person. It's not the end. It's the beginning. Just take care of your own stuff and forgive whoever did that bad thing toward you or bad things. Let them go. Let them off the hook for your own sake. Give forgiveness and you'll get it back. Don't worry anymore. You wasted too much time being concerned about the wrong things. Wounds will heal. You'll become a healer. And who knows what God has in store for you. I declare healing for all those that are in that space today in Jesus' mighty name. May the Lord bless you and put you on a high rock. May God make you the head and not the tail. May you not feel discouraged or disillusioned or weak or cast aside. You are not cast aside. You've been put in the front of the line. God's compassion is never ending toward you, and he wants to make something amazing out of you. It's not the end of your life. It's the beginning of your life. I declare that over you. And every curse spoken over you, every negative voice, I rebuke you in Jesus' name. This church is alive. No matter how you've been treated or mistreated, you are children of the Most High God. May the love of God just fall on you today, this morning. May it fall on you when you watch this thing again, this live stream. May it fall on you when you're in your bed praying. May it fall on you tomorrow when you're at work. May God's grace surround you. May the favor of the Lord be all around you. You are a blessed and holy people. You've been given the provision through the scriptures and through your faith to move mountains and experience a joy-filled life. What the enemy has stolen, I rebuke in Jesus' name. I declare, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. This isn't the end of the life. It's the beginning of your life. And the seed you sow right now will be reaped quickly and speedily. God will bring a speedy harvest. As you turn your attention to him, forgive and give. May the Lord bless you in all that you do. May you become more than you could ever believe. No matter how hard you've been hit, no matter how many problems you have, you have the holy seed of faith and grace in you and the love of God to change everything. You are life changers. You are world changers. Starting with your own life, your own situation. Anybody that needs prayer today, just uh, want to just say, God, have mercy on me. I know you've been doing a lot. Just stand there. Just come forward real quick. Let people pray for you. They might have a word for you that will shock you, surprise you. They might have a word of encouragement for you that changes everything. Just come to the front. Find someone to pray for you. If we stack up, we'll wait. 
if you'll wait. Be patient. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us. We hope you have a great week. If you had an encounter during this service, we would love to hear about it in the comments. And for more information, next steps, check our website out at vineyardallin.org. Thank you. Thank you.